Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With over 1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered. Whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm super excited. I have missed my friend Dale Martinson of Touche Japanese Chin so badly that I said, Dale, we've got to talk about this one. So I'm super glad Dale's here and we're going to talk about the bitches we show and the bitches we breed. And are they the same? Should they be the same? Can they be the same? Fabulous questions that Dale prompted when I was reading his social media. So (laughs) welcome, Dale. Hey, Laura, how are you? I've missed you. I know. I've missed you so much. Is Texas still standing? It is, and it's nice and warm. Oh, yes. Yes, spectacularly so. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. So talk to us about the idea that there are bitches that we show and that are successful show dogs. And there are bitches that we breed and maybe they're the same and maybe they're not. Let's talk about that. Well, I think that we had talked in one of our other conversations about very successful dogs that were maybe not the epitome of breed type, but were really good dogs Right. that had quality, just good dogs. And my breeds, we were talking about markings and head type and size. Those are all things that are very important for show dogs mm-hmm. to have that perfectly marked. But maybe as far as like on a foundation bitch, maybe that wasn't as beautifully marked, but had exceptional constitution, really good eater, strong mind, very good body. That might be a more valuable dog to you in your groundwork in your breeding. And maybe not a, a highly appreciated animal. In the show ring. And I think that that's super important. A couple of things you just said there, Dale. Good eaters, good constitution, good mind. These in a brood bitch, in a dog that we're going to have be the foundation for a long-term breeding program and a family of dogs, my opinion, and it sounds like yours, those are more important than perfect markings, the perfectly proportioned head and that sort of thing. 100% because at the end of this, what we're doing is we're not breeding dogs for ribbons. We're breeding dogs for their purpose. Yes. So whether that's a companion dog or that's a hunting dog or a service dog or any of these type of things, these dogs have to be able to go into their environment because the idea that they can be 
fed by hand and get up to weight doesn't really do much for the home that is going to struggle with trying to keep this dog in condition. So dogs that make a good dog to be around, that's a really good starting point. And it's actually everything because most of what we breed, I think Pat Trotter said, they're all pets. Yeah. Ultimately, they're all pets. And so it's got to make a good pet before it can make a good show dog. And that's where we're starting with. So like in your breeds, like, well, Jane's mother raised Maltese. Right. We didn't keep back dogs that stained. We really avoided staining because. Oh my gosh. Now stop, stop, stop. No, stop. You have just blown my mind. Staining was genetic. Absolutely. 100%. Oh, holy crap. One of my really good friends, Rick Wilson, 30 year poodle breeder. Mm. He was deaf. He's like, I don't want a dog that I have to keep on antibiotics to keep its face white. I don't want a staining. I don't want a wet face dog. And I'm like, that's an option. Well, then let's choose that. Right? Because, yes, we can go ahead and bleach its face. And, yes, we can keep it on Thailand. But that's an artificial type of thing. What about if that dog was actually had a white face? And these are things that we could work towards that are important to the breed and important to the people that have the breed. I just think that that is such an important statement. I'm just kind of like do a drop a mic thing here because I really want people to hear this. It goes to my big beef, which is fix it in the whelping box, not in the tack box. If your tails aren't the way you want them, if your ears aren't the way you want them, if your color isn't the way you want it, fix that in your breeding program. Well, absolutely. And, you know, in my breeding experience, I have found that you have dogs that are a good starting point. They're good specimens of the breed. And you're going to breed them into more type, more style, more what you want, more extremity for show. Mm. But at one point, you get to the ending. You get the finished product. You get that perfect little show dog. Right. That perfect everything. And where do you go with that? It is truly usually an ending. That's why when people talk about a lot of the really big winning dogs that they weren't very dynamic producers. Well, there was really not a whole lot where for them to go. Those were the finished product. And at some point, you have to kind of almost start it over again. And I think that, again, is such an amazing concept to think about. I got there. I've made the perfectly marked, beautifully exotic five and a half pound chin dip bitch. And what did she produce, Dale? Uh, like nothing. <laughs> I mean, because there was really no more type to go and she didn't have the strength and everything that makes them necessarily a great show dog, like being able to go to 120 shows in a year mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, all of those things, the stamina to show and show and show, that doesn't necessarily translate as to being a great breeding animal. But as breeders, and this is every breed a dog has their things. We have what I call my A and my B list faults. Yes. And my A list faults, that's stuff that I work around. That's stuff that I look at that and go, that's inconvenient. Right. That's something I wish wasn't there. Right. This will not make the dog live one day longer or one day shorter. This will not affect the dog to be a companion, to be its purpose. Mm -hmm. And those are things that you keep and you work around. And then you have your B-list faults and you go, oh no, <laughs> this, right. uh, you know, check please. 
I don't care how pretty it is, it's from a poisonous tree. Okay. So what we're saying there, we're talking about how do we decide, is this just a dog that isn't going to be a fabulous show dog, but it could be a good producer, or is this just not a very good dog? And so your list of A list and B list faults, I think helps us make that decision. So like I can speak of my breeds that I've bred. I myself would not be willing to keep a dog that say had epilepsy. Right. I wouldn't try to breed around that. Right. It would affect the dog as a pet. Deafness. Those are things that would affect the dog's life. And so I could probably work my way around a luxating patella. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm a firm believer that the health testing isn't for elimination. It's for smarter choices. Yes. Because as long as you are talking about the recessive genetic defects that cannot be bred out, that there are not DNA markers for, they can't be bred out. You can breed non-symptomatic dogs. Right. And hope that you're getting a lower percentage of afflicted puppies. But at the end of the day, you don't know. So that's a reality. We like to comfort ourselves and yes. say, oh, well, I have all this certification. My puppies will have to be perfect now. Doesn't work that way. Well, and you just made a couple super important points that I'm going to just draw listeners back to. Number one, health testing is for smarter choices. Now, there are certain tests that if they're going to be affected and or their puppies are going to be affected and or the owner's lives are going to be affected, then no, those are not going to be bred from and those can be eliminated. Those are eliminated. But like, say, for example, if your dog, like say in breeds that have like uh, DNA markers and eyes. Yes. Well, if you have a carrier or even an affected, that's where your magic of your test. Yes. You read it to a clear dog. (laughs) And then you can keep this dog. You can keep your genetic diversity and you can work towards breeding this up. But like in things where we're talking about yearly testing, where we are truly just breeding non-afflicted at the day. Right. They may not show up with that until they're eight, nine years old, long after they're done being bred. Right. That is just a reality that we have to kind of work with. Correct. And I think the second part of your comment that was so important is that we comfort ourselves and we are able to talk to our buyers that we have done everything within our power to make sure that they're going to have a healthy companion. And that is something we should do. I think that is an absolutely important thing to strive for. But absolutely, but we should not believe our own advertising. (laughs) Yes. Mother nature is still a bitch. And I think that is the part that we as breeders and people who own dogs as well need to understand. I can do everything humanly possible and it may not work. Let's take, for example, people. We are the least inbred of any mammal. Hopefully. Yes. Hopefully. (laughs) That is our goal. There are parts of this country where that's not true, but I'm saying. Exactly. But the fact of the matter is our inbred status or lack thereof does not prevent the human race from experiencing every single health defect you can name. Exactly. Exactly. Because everybody's healthy when they're young. Mm-hmm. All of these dogs are healthier usually when they're young. Yeah. So that's really kind of a false positive. That's a false confidence there yep. to say, oh, well, you're great when you're 20. 
Well, come back when you're 55. <laughs> then let's take a- I'm telling you, I'm spay for pet quality, man. I got bad hips and I bite. <laughs> that's what I tell people all the time. And that's where I think that sometimes we set our customers up for this expectation of perfection that's non-deliverable. Yes. Where, yes, sure, you can breed these two dogs together that have OFA clearances. That doesn't mean that any of the puppies will have OFA clearances. And that is a reality. It is a reality. It's a lived reality in my world and in yours, I'm sure, also. In a previous life, we had our breed gotten very popular with people wanting to check hips mm-hmm. on American Cockers. Mm-hmm. And we did 40-some x-rays on different dogs. And we had several that were OFA excellent. Mm-hmm. All of our excellence had one dysplastic parent. <laughs> right. There was no rhyme or reason. It was just kind of how it went. So, I mean, you have to look at your animals. You have to know and see and be honest with yourself and say, what do I have going here? You know, how does this look? What are my percentages? How many of this in this? Because when you raise your litter, you get to see the totality. And if you stay in touch with your people, you can see the things you need to work on as a family. A family of dogs. Absolutely. And thinking about our breeding program as a family of dogs. It's one of the things that kind of stuck in my head for many conversations with Bill Shelton is that idea of a family of dogs and thinking of it in that sense has really helped me get a good vision and sort of drill down into where I'm going with some of that. So in this idea that there are really, really beautiful show dogs that do not produce well, what about this aphorism that we hear all the time I know my thoughts. I'm curious to hear yours. Breathe the best to the best and you'll get the best. They said so. Well, okay. You know, (laughs) I mean, obviously we don't want to breed the worst to the worst. Yes. But I think that we need to breed complementary. So if we're breeding the best to the best, if it's a breed that has, say, German wire hair pointers, perhaps they could use a bit more front nowadays. Mm -hmm. So. You can breed champions, specialty winning dogs together that all have the same fault, and you're going to perpetuate that fault. So yep. maybe breeding a type complementary dog, mm-hmm. maybe it's a field dog. Maybe it's something totally from left field, but is what you need. Yes. Breeding to what you need is more important. That will give you better puppies than breeding ribbons together. Oh my goodness. That's where you look at them and Be a good shepherd and see honestly what your animals need. This is what I'm lacking. Mm -hmm. And so where do I go out to get this? Because that's more important than counting titles on a pedigree. Well, and I think I know for my own personal breeding program, I have, to the best of my knowledge, while I have bred many champions one to another, I have never bred strictly two show dogs ever. All of my dogs and all of my outside sires have been field trail dogs. That's all I've ever bred to is major, major field dogs. And I have included dogs who are dual champions and all the rest of it, but their primary focus was absolutely the field. And that's from my foundation sire. But that was for a goal. That was for your goal to keep your dogs dual purpose. Yes, it was. so that your dogs didn't become a particular, like, this is just a show dog. Yeah. And that's a well-rounded thing. So I think when you look at your breed and you're talking about your breed and you think of 
what are the things that people really like about this breed and that they really enjoy? It makes them a great dog. Like, say, like my mother-in-law's Maltese. If they had beautiful hair that was easy to take care of, people enjoyed keeping them in a long coat. If you yeah. bred bad coats, people didn't much care for them to have wet faces and have a lot of body color. These are hallmarks when you think of that breed. You think of white. You think of good pigment. You think of good hair. The, all of those things are what we need to keep in mind first and foremost. And even though that maybe stuff can be manipulated in the show ring and we can create a show dog, that doesn't necessarily make it a good specimen of the breed. Yes, indeed, that is true. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Discover your dog's genetic health Optimize your breeding decisions and identify your puppy's genetic profiles before they go to their new homes. All of that with Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kits. As the highest rated dog DNA kit on the market, Embark has you covered with exclusive breeder tools. Embark offers the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding tests available, as well as OFA submission reports. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, code PureDogTalk. They're world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. So question then, if you're looking to say add a bitch, so again, another one of my favorite things that Bill Shelton talks about is the idea in your family of dogs to develop a second sort of complementary bitch line. So let's just do this mental exercise. You're looking for a bitch that should produce well to bring into your existing family of dogs. And what are you going to look for? What is it? Are you looking phenotype, genotype? What are you looking for? When I go to bring in, I think, first off, does it have a really documentable pedigree? Because we all are global breeders now. Everybody imports. Yep. All of the pedigrees that are from non-DNA back countries, you just have to look at that dog for what it is standing in front of you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's 100% accurate, maybe it's not. But if you have an opportunity to bring in an outcross that is itself from a family line of dogs, that is an exponentially huge step in your favor. I mean, you can go find just the dog and just say, well, that's a nice, but when you talk about, I'm going to go to this family, if you can get mm -hmm. a dog that is from a family, my dog, that is known for the qualities that you are looking to incorporate, well, wow, that's the Powerball. You may or may not be able to find that. Yeah. But if you can't. In today's world, I think it's more and more difficult, Dale, to be honest with you. Very, very difficult. I was very fortunate. I got a beautiful Cavalier puppy from a friend of mine who bred into a family of dogs that I admired very much. They're beautiful dogs. And I like so much about them. And I was very excited to bring it. I needed another blend of male like I needed a hole in the head. But 
Jane's on the phone with Dr. Phil right now. <laughs> but the idea of bringing in that family line of dogs and the things that they are known for, very exciting. Nice. Very exciting. But if that's not an option, then look for a dog that exhibits the things you want. Starting with a nice animal to live with. Right. A nice animal that you'll be able to easily transition into a wonderful retirement home. That's a really good thing. And I was talking to a very good friend of mine who had gotten rid of a wonderful bitch puppy because it didn't have the bite she was wanting. And she asked, would you keep that? And I said, in some breeds, yes. Yes, I would keep that. Because a bite, really, in some breeds, you wouldn't have to or you wouldn't need to. But if you had one of those breeds that it's not going to affect the dog's longevity or health. Right. right. It's not going to live a day longer or a day shorter. It's something you're going to have to work around. But if you do it knowing, you can make those choices. Well, and I think that's a beautiful segue into this next question. And we've touched on some of these. But let's kind of get together an idea other than size. So in your breed and a lot of other breeds, size is an issue. I know in Chihuahuas, they frequently breed eight-pound bitches instead of the four-pound bitches that are in the ring like that. Certainly. What are some other factors that you might rule out a show dog? Marking, size, what have you, but would not rule it out as a brood bitch. You're going to keep the brood bitch. It's got to have the temperament. It's got to have the constitution. It's got to have the health. What are some of the other positives for a brood bitch that may or may not translate to show dog? Well, okay. So part of what you're going to be looking for is that strength. And the strength is pretty much everything. And we oftentimes, especially toy dog breeders, we won't use a male that's mon-orchid very easily, or we won't keep a mon-orchid male, but we certainly will keep its sister. Right. So if you are looking for something like where you might could go in there and say, what was that litter? Did her brothers, were they descended young? Mm-hmm. Or did you have to wait until they were four or five months? <laughs> right. And pray and do a lot of rosaries. <laughs> right. Is she bringing that into you? Mm-hmm. Because I don't care how nice she is, if her male siblings were incomplete, then that's something she's going to bring you. Mm-hmm. And then like one of my really good friends, and I've shown lots of French bulldogs. They're fantastic dogs, Mm -hmm. but they are known for being weak in production. Right. And so oftentimes, the nicer your bitch, the less often they'll come. I mean, you know, there's at least a hundred exceptions to every rule, but they don't usually come in every six months, oftentimes, maybe every year, sometimes less than that. Mm -hmm. And so when you go ahead, if you're looking to get a bitch puppy and say, does the mother cycle twice a year? That's a pretty big thing. Does the mother free whelp? Does the mother take care of her puppies? Does the mother get milk? You know, all of those things, trust me, having spent my entire career working with, unfortunately, a line that are not great. When I went looking for a bitch line to bring in, I wanted mamas. <laughs> well, you know, one of my really good friends had lovely, lovely bitch. And she lost her to eclampsia. And mm. it was devastating. And wonderful mother, beautiful dog. Then later on, found out that that bitch's mother had died of eclampsia. Oh, my gosh. So how confident are you keeping back that bitch puppy? Mm-hmm. Now, the third generation going forward. So these are all things that you want to have. And then depending whether or not your breed is a communal breed. I like my dogs to get along. 
I don't want to keep them like fighting chickens. You know, I mean, so I come from lots of fighting chicken breeds, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the reality in some breeds, but yep. you know, yep. there are some that take it to an extreme. Oh, yeah. And oftentimes, sometimes make really wonderful show dogs. Yes, that extra little bit of, as they say, fire in the belly, but not always easy to live with. Not always easy to live with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think that. As we talk to people out there in the world that are wanting to get involved with breeding dogs, and I see a lot of them, Pure Dog Talk patrons and folks that talk to me about the podcast, and they ask these sorts of questions and they're concerned about these sorts of things. And I just find it so valuable that we can talk about things that I think are absolutely important for people to hear. Well, what I don't like seeing is people come in And they're so enthusiastic, and then they throw these expectations out, and then maybe they'll go online and say, what should I do? And everybody is so afraid of saying, oh my gosh, I've ever had a dog with a fault. They go, well, if it wasn't perfect, I wouldn't breed it, because that's the kind of person I am. Mm -hmm. And you're just saying they're going, oh my God. Well, think about it too, Dale. I can... But people, they won't get very far. They're going to get about one generation, maybe two, and then they're going to be like... Oh no, this is all, and they'll start all over again. And here's what I want to share, because I do think this is important. I started out as a baby dog breeder with lots of rules. I was never going to that, and I was never going to the other thing, and I was definitely never going to do this other thing. (laughs) I've broken every single one of them at one point or another. And what the years in have taught me is that there are very, 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 very few absolutes in the world of dog breeding. That is just, well, you're never as smart as you are when you're young because everything is so black. (laughs) I was a freaking genius, man. I'm telling you. (laughs) And then like your hair, everything goes gray Mm -hmm. because there is no black and white and you just need to pick what's right for right now. Pick your battles, man. Exactly. And you know, so when I have people say, oh, well, this dog, I think that we need to be a little kinder and a little more understanding and be able to say, Okay, so your dog isn't perfect, but is your dog a good pet? Then that's okay to go ahead and breed it because every generation you can go back and you can keep a pick of litter, bitch. Mm-hmm. Every generation is just building your repertoire in the breed because I, time you get into fifth generation of pick of litter bitches, you got some pretty nice bitches going on there. Yep. And you'll have dogs that are more towards a production style, more of a producer. Mm-hmm. You know, more of an extreme show type of dog. You know, you have them both, but there's value to both. And like I started a new person out and I sent them a bitch that was, she finished it. She finished it fairly easily. I probably wouldn't have shown it. Wasn't quite extreme enough. Very so. Mm-hmm. And she took it home and had her first litter and had six babies and she raised them all, and she's very happy. You know, if I had sent her something that was maybe on the other side of the coin, she might have won a little bit more, but then maybe C-section and had to hand raise. And maybe it wouldn't have gone as well for her. Right. So maybe it just needs to be the right dog for them and where they are. Yes. And I think that's so important as I've gotten to the end of my actually physically being able to manhandle big litters of big dogs. Like I just can't do it anymore. So I have a young woman who has worked for me, who has had my dogs for a number of years, who is interested in carrying this kind of vision forward. 
And so I sent her the culmination of 25 years worth of work from my last letter. Here you go. Merry Christmas. Because she will go forward with that and carry that on. And that to me is what we need to think and about. And you gave her the instructions and the oh, recipe yeah. how to make the cake. Well, and I'm going to sit right next to her while she bakes it, but I'm saying there you go. the point is that we as dog breeders get so wrapped up in our own coolness instead of focusing on people and the dogs around us that that frustrates me. And so my final takeaway from our conversation is what you just said share what people need in the place that they need it. Exactly. What they can be successful with yes. and how they can go forward and do well. Yeah. And maybe they'll go one direction or another. Maybe they'll go performance animals. It's all a win. Absolutely. Because really, at the end of the day, only you care if your dog is a champion. Dog doesn't care. Dog doesn't care at They're all. good with it either way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. right. Whatever you want. Is there chicken involved? <laughs> all right, I'm down. <laughs> I'm in with this shotgun. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. Well, Dale, as always, thank you so incredibly much for bringing your insight and your wisdom and sharing it with the world because it is refreshing and it is delightful. So thank you. Well, I always love to get a chance to talk to you. And, you know, like I say, I think that you've done a lot to improve a lot of breeds and Maybe bring in some breeders, bring in new What we're trying to do is bring everybody, we'll sing Kumbaya maybe, but you know what I'm saying? Big tent, big (laughs) Big tent. tent. Big tent is what we're aiming for. That's my goal. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, you have a great day. All right. You take care. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual after dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the become a patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab, too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.